Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, here's what we're doing today. We're in uh, chapter 9 of the book of Acts, and this is like, I always say, you know, every part of the Bible is my favorite part, but I just love chapter 9 of Acts. It's just such a great, great, great part of the, of the story. When I'm reading Acts and I get to chapter 9, I get so excited because it's the story of Paul's conversion, how he became a Christian. And so if you're not familiar with that, I'm going to read it, uh, and then we're going to talk about what's in this story. But I, I just absolutely love this this story, uh, and it's, we, can't, we can't overestimate how important this story is. And uh, this story literally changed history, and uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But let me read the story to you. It's in Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 19, and here's how it reads. He's called Saul first. Saul is his Hebrew name, uh, and then he has his name Paul as well as Saul. People always get confused on that. Why does he have two names, you know? Uh, Saul is a Hebrew name. Uh, Paul is a Gentile name, and he was, the, he was the ambassador to the Gentiles, so he was given that other name, Paul, uh, because the Gentile believers and the Gentile world that he would be speaking to would understand Paul. That name resonated with him better. So here's what it says, uh, Acts 9, 1 through 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue In Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show you how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. I think it's really cool that, uh, that when uh, Saul was pers- 
pursuing the Christians, uh, he says that he went and found any who belonged to the way. Isn't that great? I think it's used six times in the book of Acts, that title, the way. The early Christians were called the way. And of course, they got that from John chapter 14, where it says, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So they called themselves the way. So Paul was persecuting these people. And so it's hard to It's hard to imagine or really comprehend the magnitude of this moment in history because when Paul was was converted and when he became a Christian, history shifted and changed. In fact, it even changes in the book of Acts. At this point, you know, up to this point, the focus has been on the Jews and Jerusalem. And after Paul's conversion, the shift begins to gradually shift away from the Jewish world to the Gentile world. So this is a a changing moment in history. Now, I want to make a a radical statement that may sound like like an overstatement, a hyperbole, uh, but if Saul had not been converted, I doubt you would be here today. I doubt any of us would be here today if Saul had not been converted because it changed history. It was a historically changing moment when Paul became a Christian. And, and uh, people have said that the conversion of Saul was the most important thing that ever happened in humanity other than Jesus coming to the earth. And so I think there's a lot of merit to that. I think about moments in history. I think about in my family. I think about uh, a moment in my history. I've probably told you this before. When, when my, my, uh, my grandfather met my grandmother, it was unusual circumstances. My grandfather was, uh, my paternal grandfather, his name was Raymond uh, Tice, and he was, a, uh, he was a very charming, very charismatic guy. He had a lot of charisma. And uh, if you ever met my grandfather, he, was just, he just had personality plus, and everybody liked him. He knew everybody. He was a salesman and just a really interesting guy. But when he was 19 years old, he lived, in a, lived on a farm in Laurel, and uh, he drove a produce truck from Laurel to Norfolk, and he did that regularly to deliver produce. And when he went there one time in Norfolk, he met this young girl by the name of Doris Talbert. And she was 16 years old. She had long black hair. And, um, and my f- grandfather turned on the charm. And charming my uh, to-be grandmother, uh, she fell in love with him. And they got you know, in love. But my uh, grandmother's parents, they were sort of you know, solid middle class. My, grand, uh, my great-grandfather uh, from Norfolk, he, uh, he, he was over the post office there in Norfolk and had a good job, and they lived in a nice house. And here was this poor country boy from Laurel delivering produce that wanted to marry their daughter. And so they were, ag- they were against the relationship. But my uh, grandfather, Raymond, he turned on the charm, uh, convinced my grandmother, Doris-to-be, was going to be my grandmother, uh, convinced her to elope, and they went and eloped. And she's 16 years old, and he's 19 years old, and they elope, and then they drive in his farm truck from Norfolk back to Laurel to the farmhouse where his mom and dad lived, and he comes into the house with a new bride, this 16-year-old girl by the name of Doris Talbert. So when... uh, when her parents found out that they had eloped, they jumped in the car and drove to, to Laurel. And, of course, the Bay Bridge Tunnel wasn't there then. They had to get on a ferry and cross the Chesapeake Bay, and they had to drive to Laurel. And they got to Laurel, and they go into the farmhouse where my uh, grandfather Raymond is and my grandmother-to-be, and she's 16 years old, and he's 19 years old. And they try to convince Doris to get back in the car, and they're going to gnaw the marriage. And I would love to be a fly on the wall 
in that room, and there was probably yelling and tears and crying. But my grandfather's charm, uh, he, she did not get in the car, and she did not leave, and she stayed with my grandfather, and they had four kids, and then out of those four kids, one of those boys was Roland, who was my dad, and then I was born, and then those of you that are in Rehoboth, your pastor was born because I was born. And I think about that story, and here is the the rub of the story. If she gets in that car, I don't exist. Isn't that interesting? You think about moments in history that change everything. That one singular moment in history where my grandfather and my grandmother stayed together changed history, and here I am preaching to you all today. I think about Paul's conversion. Paul's conversion is like that. Paul's conversion is, is if he's not converted, because when Paul becomes a Christian and he preaches the gospel, he preaches from east to west. Paul always moves toward the west. He moves toward Europe. And the gospel and the message of Jesus go from east to west. And we're in the west. We're Christians because of Paul's conversion. And most of us here are Gentiles today. There may be some Jewish people here today, but most of us are Gentiles. And Paul was specifically commissioned to minister to non-Jewish people. How many people here today, you're not Jewish? You are a Gentile. Raise your hand if you're not Jewish. And we may have some Jewish people here today, which we would would just be honored to have Jewish people here, and always would be. But we wouldn't be here if Paul was not converted. His story is connected to our story. Our story would not be in existence if Paul's story was not there. And this is his story. This is how he met Jesus. This is how he became a Christian. And he tells that story throughout the book of Acts. This is recorded how he met Jesus, but that's not the only time we hear it in Acts. He tells it again in chapter 22. He talks in chapter 22 about how he met Jesus. He tells this very same story. Chapter 26, he tells the same story. Paul's always pulling his story out, and he's telling people how he met Jesus. And you know what? You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know everything about God. You don't have to have all the answers to the Bible. The Bible's very confusing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. And some people say, I'm going to be very reticent, very quiet about my faith, because I don't know all the answers, and so I'm not really qualified to minister to people because I don't know everything about God and about the Bible. That's not true. You have a story. Your story is what matters. And Paul kept telling his story of how he met Jesus. How's your story? You remember your story? Could you tell your story? Could you just stand up and say, here's my story. Here's how I met Jesus. And here's the thing about our stories. Everybody's story is different. Nobody's story is the same. Sometimes you listen to somebody. I'm, when I was in, uh, growing up in church, we used to have, you know, uh, you know, vans just come through, and they'd be like, they used to be in the Hell's Angels, you know, and killed people, and, you know, and they were on drugs, and they would tell those stories, and that was never my story. And I always thought, well, I don't have a very good story, but I have a story. My story's simple. My story is my, my dad was a plumber. He was a plumber, pipe fitter, worked at DuPont's. Uh, we went, we were Methodist. We went to the with Methodist Church, Christmas and Easter. Man, we, we, we just, we were faithful. Christmas and Easter, we were there. We were C&E Christians. 
So the little Methodist church, they had, a, they had an attendance. They had a role of who were members. We were members of that church. And they needed a Sunday school teacher for the high schoolers, for the students. And so they went down the roster and they found my dad's name. And so they, the Sunday school superintendent, uh, his last name was Warren, he got in a car, drove to our house, and he knocked on the door and he asked if my dad would be willing to teach the Sunday school class. Now, my dad's not a Christian. My dad doesn't have a Bible. But they were wanting him to teach the Sunday school class. And so my dad, being a nice guy, he said to Mr. Warren, well, if you can't find anybody else, I will do it. Mr. Warren got in the car. He said, we got our man. We got our man. So my dad, he goes to the Sunday school class that met in the, in the balcony of the little sanctuary at Concord Methodist Church. And about six or seven teenagers showed up, and he started uh, going through the Sunday school circular. And teenagers are unpretentious. They're not trying to impress anybody. And they just started asking him questions about God. What about God? What about the Bible? And my dad had no idea. And because of his pride and because of his ego, he wanted to give them good answers. So he went and bought a Bible. You know, it's always good when the Sunday school teacher has his own Bible. So he went and bought a Bible. It's a paraphrased version. Good news for modern man. He worked at DuPont's, come home at 4 o'clock, eat his dinner, and in the evenings, to save his ego from embarrassment, he started reading the New Testament so he could answer the questions these kids were asking. And one night while reading the Bible... Billy Graham wasn't on. It wasn't a church service. There wasn't music playing. He was reading the Bible. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit touched his heart. And he began to cry. And he got out on his knees in our living room. And he became a Christian. And then, we went to church all the time. <laughs> Sunday morning. The Methodists, of course, they, didn't, they got it all in on Sunday morning, so they weren't having anything on Sunday night. So we went to Nazarene Church on Sunday night. We went somewhere on Wednesday night. We went to revivals. And I was on drugs. You know, I was growing up. I was drugged to this church and that church and that church, you know. <laughs> and one night at the Nazarene Church, a guy named Jack Burbage, a tall, skinny guy, preached about Jesus. And I started feeling my heart was beating fast. And I was 12 years old. I didn't know what it was. But I felt this weird thing in my heart. And I mean, he gave an altar call, invited people to come forward. And my heart, I thought it was going to beat out of my chest. I mean, I just felt like this, it was like this, this adrenaline in me. I never felt that before. So I went forward. I knelt down and I was trying to pray. And my dad came and put his hands on my back and prayed for me. And I remember that moment. I just clears a bell. March 25th, 1969, I became a follower of Jesus, and I was 12 years old, and that's how my journey began. My dad, who wasn't a Christian, asked to teach a Sunday school class, teaches a Sunday school class, reads the Bible, finds Jesus, and as he finds Jesus, he takes me to church all the time, and as I go to church, the Holy Spirit convicts me and moves in my heart, and I become a Christian. So, my kids right next door here, when we lived next door, when they were, I don't know, three or four, four or five, they, all, they said to their mom one day, we want to know Jesus too. And 
prayed with them to receive Jesus. My story, that's my story. That's it, that's the story. Everybody has a story. I put on Facebook this week, I asked people about their story, how they came to know the Lord. And uh, I had some interesting things here, and I just want to read a few of them, I can find it. And uh, people just said, you know, this is my story, how I found the Lord. And uh, just kind of interesting. I'll find it somewhere. I got way too, way too many notes. Here's this. Uh, this is pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, Tom, Tom who comes to Bayshore, says, I went to a men's advance in 1999 with Pike Creek Bible Church to Black Rock Retreat, Retreat Center. I went for the sports and fun and had never experienced a group of men behave that way during sports, also positive and humble. I knew something was different about these men and I wanted in. Huh. Went to a, went to a men's thing. The Lord ministered to them. Diane, who comes to our church, said, I surrender my ways of trying to fix my marriage. Some struggles in marriage. I gave up and told God I would do whatever he wanted. Can you imagine? He changed me and still is. Been married for 44 years now. Holly Hudson, I love Holly and Greg. Holly Hudson said she got saved because my sister June told me to get saved. That's what she said. If you know June, you know that's true. How about that? <laughs> Sarah, Sarah Peeker, who comes to Bayshore. Sarah says, Brenda Jewell and the dance moms were talking about what our children believed. I was embarrassed when I said my daughter believed in mermaids but didn't know who God was. At that time, I was not a believer but thought she should be aware of all the religions around her. Brenda said her church had a great children's program inviting me to come with her. Long story short, I went to expose my daughter to church and ended up being saved. My faith and Bayshore has, my faith and Bayshore has changed my life. My belief in God has given me strength to do things I thought were impossible. This is an interesting thing Nick Chumbrus writes. Nick says, I, I knew there was a Jesus because I went to church as a kid. However, I did not know Jesus. After many, many years of not going to church, I began attending Bayshore with Judy in the summer of 2004. She had been going there since Easter Sunday. That began the process of me getting to know Jesus. You know, I think for some people it is a process. And uh, some people can say, I know exactly where it was. Some people, it's like the ship turns around and they start moving in a, in a certain direction. Uh, just really, really great story. We'll read you one more. i got a whole bunch of them. Um, Richard uh, writes, Richard Pope writes, at Bayshore Community Church, when you preached a message that I can't remember the title to, used a white shirt to demonstrate how Jesus could clean us. I accepted Christ that day, and because of the sanctifying work of the Spirit, have, been, have seen my life completely changed. Now I'm blessed to tell others about the same hope and love you taught me about the big church, uh, uh, taught me about at the big church in little old Gumboro. And let me read one more. This is Lauren that's sitting over here. Lauren says, I was at a low point in my life in the mid-late 80s. Watched the 700 Club every day. Called them and prayed with them multiple times. Joined a church shortly thereafter and was baptized. So everybody has a story. A story uh, about how you came to know Jesus is what Paul did. Paul had his story. His story was always ready to share. And he told his story. So what do we learn about Paul's conversion? A couple of things. First of all, this is really marvelous. The first thing we learn about, learn about Paul's conversion is Paul's conversion was completely initiated, initiated by God himself. Paul's conversion was completely initiated 
by God himself. Paul or Saul was going to Damascus to persecute Christians. He was not going to a Bible study. He was not going to try to find out more about God. He wasn't seeking. He wasn't thinking about God. He was against Jesus and Jesus interrupted his life and Jesus took the whole initiative on in, in Paul's conversion. Sometimes we think as Christians, you know, we look at ourselves and say, we're really the smart ones. We, 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 we looked at Jesus, we heard the gospel, we heard the message, and we were smart enough to know it was right, and we chose Jesus. And people use language like, I found the Lord. There couldn't be anything further from the truth. You never found the Lord, the Lord found you. You weren't even looking for the Lord, according to what the book of Romans says. It says, there's none who understands, there's none who seek after the Lord, it said in Romans chapter 3. None who understand, that means to put it together. Nobody could put it together on their own. And nobody could, no one was seeking the Lord, Paul said, quoting the Psalms. Paul said, no one's seeking the Lord. I looked up the word seek last night in Romans 3, where it says none were seeking the Lord. And you know what the word seek means? It means to crave. There was nobody was craving God on their own. There's nothing in us that seeks God, but God in his mercy and God in his love apprehends us and he speaks to us and he reveals himself to us. And Paul, who was traveling, you know how far it was from Jerusalem to Damascus? It was 225 miles. If you got in a car and you drove from Jerusalem to Damascus, it would take you almost five hours to get there. And of course, Paul didn't have a car, so it took him 60 hours to get there. So he walked for weeks to get there. He was going there to persecute Christians. Every step he was going was not stepping toward God. He was stepping away from God. He didn't love God. He was not seeking God. But in God's mercy and God's grace, Jesus apprehended Paul. And Jesus took the initiative. That's why Paul writes... In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it's by grace you're saved through faith, listen to this, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. You know why Danny Tice is a Christian? He didn't go to that Nazarene church that night to find Jesus. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I went because my parents made me. I had to sit in that crazy pew, hard pew, no, no padding on it. Sit there, listen to those hymns that weren't that, in, not that inspiring. I sat there, and while I was sitting there not seeking God, God in His mercy, let the Holy Spirit come on me, and my heart started beating. I started thinking about Jesus, and I was drawn to Jesus. John 6.44 says this. Listen to this. I've, I've always been perplexed about this verse. And it speaks to me deeply. John 6, It says, uh, No man can come to the Father except the Spirit of the Lord draw him. Now, what that word draw means is it's the same word used for if you got a net full of fish and you pull the fish up, that you pull the fish up. And God draws our heart and He speaks to us. And so I lift up my hands as we're worshiping this morning. I was on the 
front row and I was listening to that song, uh, The Atmosphere Changing. I love that song. And my hands were lifted up to Jesus and I'm worshiping Jesus. And the reason I'm worshiping Jesus is because I know that it's only because of Jesus that I'm a Christian, that Jesus, when I wasn't looking for him, he met me in the road and he spoke to me and it's all him and it's all grace. And I'll never boast to say that I was smarter than heathens, that I picked Jesus. I picked Jesus. I didn't pick Jesus because I was smart. Jesus picked me and he called me by his name and he loved me and I'm eternally grateful that he reached out and touched me. Can you say a big amen? Yeah. My sons, uh, Tim and Joel, and those of you at Rehoboth, your pastor, Joel, he's a, uh, he's a surfer. He loves to surf, he and Tim both. And they recently did a trip to uh, uh, Nicaragua. I think we have a picture of them at Nicaragua when they were walking on the beach there. And uh, they're walking on the beach in Nicaragua. We're we're keeping their kids, and uh, they're having a good time. But uh, anyhow, uh, this is them walking on the beach there. And, uh, and I always talk to them about their, their sport. This is their sport. You know, have you ever noticed how you want your kids to pick up your sport? I wanted them, I dressed them in little tennis outfits when they were little and all that. They, they don't play tennis. They hate tennis. But they, they got, this is their sport. And I say, what a sport you've chosen. What a terrible sport you've chosen. You just can't say, hey, I'm going to go surfing today. You can't do that. You can only surf when the waves are good. And Joel will get up, your pastor at Rehoboth, he'll get up at 4.30 in the morning and he'll get all this stuff and he'll drive to the beach and he'll try to surf and I'll ask him later in the day, How, did you get to surf? No, the waves weren't any good. He can only surf when the waves are good. It's dependent completely upon the waves. And the gospel of John teaches that our salvation is dependent upon the Spirit of God. He says, John said in chapter 3, he said, the wind blows wherever it wants to. And so I'm so grateful when I became a Christian. And you should be so grateful when you became a Christian. And people that are listening today in this service, that you're going to become a Christian in this service. You should be so thankful that the Spirit of God is taking the initiative to reach out and to touch you and to change your life. I believe that. I love that. It says that Paul was interrupted by Jesus. He met Jesus. Jesus said to him, Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, 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 and here's, the, here's the wonderful thing in the story is that Saul personally met Jesus. And this is one of the, uh, this is perhaps in the New Testament, I think it is the last resurrection appearance, maybe two years later after Jesus was raised from the dead. And Paul, throughout his writings, he always points to this moment when he saw the resurrected Jesus. And it said he was, he said it was like a, a blinding light. He was blind from the light. And John, who wrote in the book of Revelation, John said in the book of Revelation, he said when he saw the Lord, it, his face was like brighter than the sun. And Paul said that in his own testimony in chapter 22 of Acts. He said, his face was brighter than the sun, than the noonday sun. A flash of light. He saw the glorified, resurrected Jesus. He saw Jesus and Jesus spoke to him. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. And he met Jesus personally. And then this blind man, Paul, now became blind. Arrogant, confident educated, sophisticated, this proud man now had to humble himself and they had to lead him in to Damascus because he couldn't even see. And nobody can come to the Lord unless they're humble. You've got to come to the Lord in humility. You can't come to the Lord with all your 
dignified education, you've got to come to the Lord in humility and say, Lord, I'm blind. I need to see. And so Paul was there and for three days he fasted, he prayed, he was seeking the Lord and the Lord spoke to Ananias. Ananias went and prayed for him and Ananias was the person that God used. Listen to this, it's interesting. You read about Ananias here, he prayed for Paul or Saul to be healed and the scales fell off his eyes and you never, ever, ever, ever hear about Ananias again. This is his one moment in history. He prayed for the apostle Paul. How about, how about Mordecai Ham? You ever heard of Mordecai Ham? How many of you have ever heard of Mordecai Ham? Maybe a few of you have. Mordecai Ham was the guy that spoke when Billy Graham became a Christian. Hardly anybody knows who he is. But there was, everybody, everybody, everybody has an Ananias. Somebody that God uses. I, I got a note when I put the little survey out on... Uh, on Facebook about how you became a Christian. I got one little line from a guy in Tyler, Texas, a guy named Sammy Fisher. And he said, he put one little line, here's how I found the Lord. My friend told me about Jesus in study hall. And I was honored to be that friend that I told my friend Sammy about Jesus. We were in ninth grade. And Sammy started thinking about it. And even as a freshman in high school, he was starting to drink a lot, and he had kind of a dysfunctional family stuff going on. And uh, Sammy started thinking about it. And one day, we're in Blades, Delaware, and we're, we've been playing Sandlot football, and we're walking by the Methodist Church my dad pastored, and we got our, our beanies on. I've always wear, wear, worn beanies, even from a, as a kid. You know, I have a beanie on. We're walking down the sidewalk in front of my dad's church, and Sammy said, today's the day. I said, what do you mean the day is today? He said, the day is the day I'm going to become a Christian. We walked in that church. He took off his beanie. I took off my beanie. We went down to the front. And you know, it's one of the churches has a little, those little velvet cushions. Remember those things? Knelt down. And Sammy invited Jesus into his heart. And Sammy became a Christian. And we followed Jesus all through high school. Long hair, hippie, drugs, music, all that stuff going on around us. And we just followed Jesus. And when we went to college, Sammy became a pastor. And his first assignment as a pastor was the Bahamas. He went to the Bahamas as a pastor. And I came to Gumber. So anyhow, there you go. <laughs> I did say to the Lord. Now, Lord, you know, I led him to the Lord. And you sent me to Gumber. You sent him to the Bahamas. He stayed there for seven years in the Bahamas pastor. <laughs> but God got back at him. He sent him to Tyler, Texas. So anyhow, there you go. But I was his Ananias. Ananias makes that one, one entry in the scripture. Paul told his story. Do you love your story? Your story about how you met Jesus. It says in the book of Revelation, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And that means if you ever have a bad day and the enemy's beating up on you, just remember your testimony, how you met Jesus. Just a couple of weeks ago, I met um, this guy at our Rehoboth campus, Jeff Kilner. Jeff Kilner is a science teacher at Sussex uh, Central High School, not too far from here. Jeff Kilner... Uh, helps us with our Next Step program at our Bayshore Rehoboth campus. And Jeff, if you're listening to this, I thank you so much for all you do uh, at our Rehoboth campus. 
you and your wife, Jamie. So Jeff was telling me his story. He said, I was raised in a non-Christian home, loving home, but unorthodox, no, no religion. My, he said, my parents were hippies. They grew up as hippies, and they were spiritual but not religious. And uh, so we didn't go to church or anything like that. But he said when he was, you know, in high school, uh, his friend Tim would take him to the Catholic church when he spent the night with him on Saturday night. And he said he'd go to that church and they had all these hand signals. And he said, I didn't know why they were putting their hands in bowls of water. And I didn't understand what was going on. And when they took communion, I walked up with Tim and his grandparents and the priest looked at me like, what am I doing here? And he said, I didn't have a good experience. Then I met a Catholic priest that always called me the heathen. And he said, I had all these bad experiences. By 16, he said, I was an atheist. I thought that I was too smart to believe in God. And Jeff said, I went through my high school years, 16, became a functioning atheist. In my 20s, I started reading books from the sophisticated atheists like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and all those guys that write books about, you know, the God delusion, all those books that a lot of people read in our culture. He said, I started reading those books. And he said, uh, and I was moving toward my graduate degree. I was in Buffalo, New York, and I was getting my graduate degree in science education at Buffalo, New York, and I was the uh, assistant swim coach and he said, uh, my, my, my uh, master's degree overseer was a guy named Dr. Yerrick. And Dr. Yerrick was a brilliant chemist, researcher, turned educator. And he said, Dr. Yerrick invited us over to his house one night for dinner. And after dinner, we went down in the basement to play games. And in the basement on the walls were all these Jesus posters. And he said, all of a sudden, I realized that my beloved professor was uh, a devoted follower of Jesus. And he said, I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. How could an educated man like him believe in such a foolish thing? And he said, about six months later, after meeting Dr. Yerrick and Dr. Yerrick talking to him, he said, I was still an atheist, but about six months later, my alcoholism got out of control, and I had a very, very traumatic night one time. And he said, in the midst of that trauma, I had an experience where something spoke to me. And he said, that thing that I heard said, look where you has gotten you. And he said, after that, I started reading about Buddhism and started meditating. And I still wasn't sure about God. And, uh, and then he said, I read a book called Religion for Atheists. And the book talked about how there's virtue in going to church even if you don't believe in God because of the social aspects and helping the needy and all that. And so we started thinking about him and his wife, Jamie, started thinking about going to church. And they visited some churches, and then they walked in to our Rehoboth campus. And he said, I love the vibe. I love the music. I love the messages. And then one day, Joel was preaching out of... 1 Corinthians, he says, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And he said, I put my faith in Jesus. And I was baptized. And I went through next steps and I began to serve. And this, he said, here's, here's his line. He said, I walked in to Bayshore 
Rehoboth, a heathen atheist. But now I am a baptized, Jesus-loving, proud Christian. Here's a picture. Let's, Let's celebrate that. And here's a picture of Jeff Kilner and his wife, Jamie, and a servant in our church. That's his story. That's his story. You know what the story of Paul is? Why, why do I believe that Jesus is real? Why do I believe the gospel is true? Here's why I believe the gospel is true. is that Paul didn't believe. He was a God-hater. He didn't love God. He didn't believe in God. Paul is the only person in the New Testament where, the, where Jesus as a resurrected Savior appeared to an unbeliever. He appears to this unbeliever. What, what explains the change in Paul? You've got to answer that question. What explains the change in Paul? When you open your New Testament, 13... 13 letters in the New Testament come from this man. And his story has changed history. I want you to lift your hands this morning and I want you to thank the Lord for your story. Your story's not like anybody else's. Maybe your story you think is a little boring. It's not boring. Your story is your story. Some of your stories are dramatic, some of your stories are simple. But your story, all our stories have this in common. God reaching out to us to change us. If you're here this morning and you don't have a story or your story's incomplete and you want to receive the Lord this morning, just lift your hand up a little higher and say, I want you to pray for me, Danny. I'll do that. I see people putting their hands up. Let's all do this. Let's all pray this out with people that are receiving Jesus, the Holy Spirit, just moving on people. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you're changing people right now. The Spirit of God is changing people like you changed Paul. Unexpected, unplanned, wasn't on the agenda, but you interrupted his life. We thank you, God, for changing Paul and changing us. Let's all pray this out loud right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I've made a mess of my life. I invite you to take control of my life. I believe in you. You love me unconditionally. My sins are not too great for you to forgive. I believe in you. The Son of God died on the cross, received my salvation. I believe in you, raised from the dead. And let's pray this. Who Christians throughout the centuries have said, Jesus, say it with me, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. Just thank him right now for changing you and working in your life. Working in your life, changing you. Your story has a reason, has a purpose. Paul said the reason that I've been saved, the reason I've been forgiven is because My salvation shows that God can forgive anybody because Paul was guilty of of killing people and the the persecution. He was guilty of Stephen's death. And he said, I've been lifted up. I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst sinner of all. And I've been given salvation so that my story will give anybody hope. And your story can help anybody. 
We're going to begin to sing and worship the Lord at the end of this service here at Millsboro, at the Millsboro campus. We're going to get ready to receive communion. Let's hold the bread up, which represents the body of Jesus. Jesus said in Rome and in John 3, if I be lifted up, all men will be drawn unto me. Lord, we thank you that you were lifted up on the cross to draw people to you. We're grateful that you have drawn yourself to us, Lord. We're grateful for the love and grace and mercy of God. We thank you, Lord, that you did not stay far away, but you stepped in our direction. You came to this earth, Lord. And the bread we hold in our fingers represents the reality of your incarnation, that you became flesh, that you dwelt among us, Lord. We thank you that you loved us enough to dwell among us, to live in our world of suffering, to taste of the suffering and temptations that we taste of. We're grateful that you're a perfect high priest because you have identified perfectly with us. We thank you, Lord. We celebrate your mercy and your love. Let's take it together as followers of Jesus. Take the bread, which represents the body of Jesus. Let's take it together. Let's hold up the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. There is no sin too dark. There is no failure too great that the blood of Jesus cannot take care of. We're not to walk in shame. We're not to live in guilt because Jesus took our shame. He took our guilt on the cross. And Lord, as we receive this this symbol of your blood today, our hearts are cleansed. Our hearts celebrate its freedom because we don't walk in darkness. We don't walk in guilt, but we walk in purity and forgiveness. There's no pit that you've dug that's so deep that God cannot reach down and rescue you. Lord, we receive this together as followers of Jesus. We receive the complete forgiveness of Jesus. Let's take it together. Lift your hands to the Lord right now and just receive the grace of God. Receive the forgiveness of God. Receive the mercy of God. As you walk in this week, you walk in a week of freedom and liberty. Thank you, God, for the wonderful forgiveness of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.